I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 5. This morning we will study together verses 3 through 5. We'll study verses 3 through 5. We'll read verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 5. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. May he give us understanding. May he give us the grace to receive it joyfully. Let's pray together. O Lord in heaven, we give thanks to you for your word. O Lord, this wonderful revelation of your love to us. Father in heaven, we pray that this morning as we have heard it, that, Lord, you would give us understanding. Oh, Lord, that those of us who know Christ may once again marvel at the grace that we now stand within. Lord, I pray also that this morning you would give us understanding that those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ might not only long for, but truly receive him as their personal Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Being right with God changes everything. Being forgiven, no longer guilty, a friend of God instead of an enemy, it changes everything. And friends, whenever Paul was writing here in verses 1 through 5, he is describing to us the wonder of what it is that we are made right with God. And in verse 1, he says that we have peace where there was once war. In verse 2, he says that there has been reunion where there was once alienation and division. That we have this reconciled relationship which had formerly been broken, a trust that had been thrown to the ground, now restored, and that all of this is the result of our being counted righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. The Christ who died for us. The one who is the sacrifice for sins. The one who took the punishment that we deserve and bore it in his flesh unto death. And the one who was raised up so that we would know that we are forgiven and also declared righteous in him. In verse 2, Paul also looked specifically to the gift of the future hope of glory. 
this wonderful day when Christ would return, where he will restore the body as well as he has already restored the soul. And this future hope is something Paul glories in in the passage and says, in fact, he rejoices in this. This untouchable hope, this faith in a future grace that will be revealed in the coming of the Son of God. And here when we come to verses 3 through 5, it's not simply a renewed standing with the Father that is rejoiced over. It's not simply a future hope that is anticipated, but rather a present possession in the midst of the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations, and the sufferings of life that he considers. And so in verse 3, he simply says that we can rejoice or boast or exult even in our sufferings. And so this morning as we look at this passage of scripture where Paul specifically thinks about how justification by faith gives us gifts in the midst of the hardships of life, he's going to tell us that being right with God changes how we experience and understand the sufferings that we experience today and that we experience throughout our lives. So this morning, if I may, I'm going to preach a two-point sermon. And usually when you have a two-point sermon, they are uh, sort of a contrast. And that's not what we have today. Rather, we have two complementary points. In fact, I want to tell you they rely upon each other. But these two wonderful gifts of justification by faith. And in verse 3, the first is that we have joy... In the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of suffering. And then in the latter part of verse 3, on the way through verse 5, we have the gift of meaning and benefit in the midst of our sufferings. Meaning and benefit in the midst of our sufferings. The day in which Paul lived was an ancient age, and it wasn't our own. And that doesn't take very much to convince you of. We live in the modern era. In fact, if you speak to some people, philosophically, they'll speak of us living in the post-postmodern age, whatever that could possibly mean. Simply enough, we live in the now, but you and I experience a world that is significantly different, don't we? In fact, when we think about the income of the average person, and especially in the Western world, it it far outstrips even some of the royal and wealthy elites of the ancient world. Not all of them, mind you, but some of them. But wealth is almost universal, and health, we believe today, at least in most societies, that there's not only a right to access, but a right to provision. Now, that's a political point that can be debated by many, but our society has formed itself around the common health and welfare of the individual and of you as a person. You and I, especially as Americans and Germans and even the mixture of people we have from various other nations around the world, I think can boast and express the wonder of the mercy of God and that we've been raised in peaceful places, haven't we? I don't know that very many of us, maybe some, 
have been raised under the weight of a country embroiled in warfare. That may be coming, but the present peace that we currently enjoy has been one that has been constant. And it is one that the world sees kind of a constancy to, even if there are constantly conflicts around the world, they are yet coming to an end, it does seem. And how many of us would say we don't feel a weight of security? Now, I know that in the past couple of years, that may have been shaken a little bit. World pandemic, economic crises, when we look at the winter that we're going into and the the forecast of a cold winter, an economically expensive winter, the difficulty we may individually have in the heating of our homes, we may wonder, is that security altogether certain? But the thing that I want to promote to you is that these are principles that you and I presently enjoy. These are gifts, these are blessings that we enjoy under the economy of the grace of God. These are things that we would say are generally common, at least within our society. But in Paul's society, wealth certainly wasn't universal. There was drastic wealth and drastic poverty, as is seen in many places even today. Health wasn't common in the ancient world. The expected lifespan was much, much, much shorter. The health care that was available was, well, a little bit of magic and a bit of superstition and a whole lot of lack of efficacy in general. Peace, these were nations that not only knew war, but the men had participated in war and that children were raised up for war. Security, I mean, what was that in the ancient world? I mean, it's a hard thing to even get their head around. The idea of security. You have one hard season, one time of famine, and then you have what? An entire society nearly collapse in upon itself. The ancient world knew hardship. It knew what the Apostle Paul touches on here this morning in the passage of Scripture. It knew what suffering was. Trials tribulations of various types and sorts they were well acquainted with and I don't know if it's something that I need to simply say but friends we also have suffering today even if our suffering doesn't have the same figure or even if it does as the ancient world we remain a people that in endure suffering whether it's suffering in body whether it's suffering psychologically or emotionally or spiritually we endure suffering economic suffering into your suffering it's a common thing uh, to the human experience and so whenever Paul writes about this and he touches upon the topic of the joy that a Christian may have in the midst of suffering or specifically in our suffering it ought to at least for a moment make you sit up and wonder how in the world can he say such a thing Because if you don't think that's a strange statement, you're just not listening, friends. Again, let me read this to you. Verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And it depends on what translation that you're reading, but the word that's here translated in the ESV, rejoice, could be translated as boast. To, To brag, as it were, a bit on sufferings to exult to have the heart lifted in sufferings 
And this may sound strange to some and then to others, especially to some outside the church. They may think, well, I don't know. If you're visiting with us this morning, this may be your opinion. Christians are a bit weird, and they do say strange things. And for a Christian to say something like, you know, they're rejoicing in their sufferings. Well, they're a strange people. They say strange things. They believe strange things. And I'm not altogether all that surprised with something like this. And so I want to address this. Does Paul himself mean that Christians are something like gluttons for punishment? Like we're people that like pain. Like there's nothing better than getting up in the morning to a fresh punch in the face instead of a fresh cup of coffee. That's not at all what Paul means, is it? It's almost silly to say or to think of a thing like that. I want to say also that Paul, whenever he says we can rejoice in our sufferings or our trials or tribulations, Paul's not saying that he enjoys them and so looks for them. That he desires suffering and so he places himself in the way of harm. Or even that he's fearless regarding sufferings. And so he's reckless with the way in which he lives his life. He's not saying any of that sort of thing. That would be profoundly strange. And in fact, I think somebody can make a very fair, cogent argument that that is insane. To like suffering, to enjoy the act of pain, the physical experience of hardship, trial, or tribulation. But what is Paul saying? He is saying that we rejoice in our sufferings because of a knowledge. And it's about what it produces in the Christian life. But there's also another knowledge that comes right under it. Right under this aspect and this idea of rejoicing in sufferings. And something I want to point you to this morning is this idea that I think comes up very, very often as I speak to sufferers. Now you may expect this or maybe you've experienced this. But whenever bad things happen in the lives of families, especially if they're in the church, there are usually a couple of people involved, right? If it's really bad... You've lost a loved one. Usually there's either an emergency worker there. Maybe it's an EMS uh, person or a a nurse or a, a doctor trying to help the loved one or however it is. Maybe it's a police officer. Somebody coming to examine the circumstance and get things stable. But there's another person usually there and it's a minister, right? But I want to tell you it's not just that ministers are involved with Christians. It's not the case. I'm thankful for that. Christians often, or uh, ministers are often invited to be near to non-believers. People that say they don't believe in the Christian faith. They don't have faith in Jesus Christ. However, they believe in a spirituality or at least in the benefit of a minister to be near them. For counsel, for comfort, for consolation. And one of the things that I hear regularly is people, whether they're Christians or not Christians, try to process the suffering that they're experiencing. They're trying to think on what's happened to them or what is happening to them. Whether it's the loss of a a job, you've got a man or a woman who provides either for themselves alone or for a whole family and, and everything has just fallen apart. The career's gone. That that piece of security, it's snatched away. 
whether it's a, a spouse uh, who's heard of the terrible disease that's been diagnosed to their loved one, or maybe it's even themselves. Pastor, come to the hospital. I'm going to get the results of the test. It doesn't seem good. Whether it's somebody dealing with the loss of a child, whether it's somebody dealing with the loss of a friend or a mother or father, whatever it is, all the suffering, you just fill the blank. The question comes, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I enduring this? And for some people, whether they're the Christian or the atheist or the agnostic in between, the eventual place that they come around to after they've examined so many things is to God. Almost always. Whether they profess faith in him or deny his existence, almost always the question is posed to me, why would God let this happen to me? Now, I do want to be clear. Occasionally the person says, I smoked for 40 years and I guess I get what I deserve. But even in that answer, there is a sense in which the blame is laid at the foot of God extending a hand against them. They're getting a judgment. Or maybe the person rolls back and they said, I made this bad judgment regarding my career. Or I made this bad judgment regarding where I went and the time I went or however it is. We shouldn't have lived in the house with asbestos in the walls. Whatever it is. There's always the devolving to the question of why would God let this happen to me? And very often... In the midst of despair, the heart simply says, does this mean God hates me? Is God punishing me for this that I've done? For that that I didn't do? For this that I am doing? Has he removed his hand from me? Does he no longer love me? And that is the gut-wrenching experience of so many people. And maybe that's been your experience, or maybe that is your experience now, as you're enduring suffering. And I want to tell you that Paul is answering the question. Before he even looks at the knowledge of what it gives and all the other gifts, he has united this wonderful truth that the Christian can rejoice in suffering with this other idea that he is a person, the Christian is forgiven and declared righteous before God justified holy, not guilty, not an enemy with this truth. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that the first gift here that is listed is that this means that our suffering as a Christian is not the result of an angry God seeking to crush us because He wants to justly condemn us. There's no longer any condemnation for he who is in Jesus Christ. The question of, is my suffering God against me? The answer is no for the Christian. The answer is no, absolutely not 
Whenever Paul says something like what he says here in these verses, there is the echo of what he's going to say later in the book of Romans. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now we open that box and begin to ask the question, what's the Lord's purpose in my suffering? I can't answer that for you. Oh, how I wish I could. How I wish I could answer the question of the purpose of God in my own suffering. You want specific too, right? I would want specific. I would want to know, well, if I'm going to lose her, then what do I get in return? If you're telling me God has a purpose in this, then let me see it because it just feels raw. The wound's still wide open. I can't answer that in specific, but friend, I can simply say this. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are secure in his hand. I can give you the assurance that the debt for your sin and the punishment that you deserve, it's been paid. Not only that, but that your God is not indifferent to your suffering and he is invested in you and loves you and you have the wonder of his presence, as Paul said in verse 2. The grace in which we now stand. And so that even in the midst of suffering, the Christian can rejoice because he's not an enemy of God. In fact, his God is his friend and his God can help him. And he may be the only one and in eternity is the only one that can give him true and final, wonderful, forgiving, restorative help. I can tell you that without a shadow of a doubt, without batting an eyelash or with any concern for untruth. The second thing that Paul says here is as you go on in verse 3, he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, we return again to the sufferer. The one who can rejoice in suffering because of some knowledge. You see, Paul is giving an explanation, not just to your experience of suffering, what's bringing that suffering about, but also he's giving you some answer, maybe not the specific answer you want, but he's giving some answer to the reason behind suffering, the meaning and the benefit that can be had through it. And he said, it's through the knowledge that suffering produces endurance, endurance. And that endurance produces character. And that character produces hope. These three wonderful things that he describes here. Endurance, character, and hope. These gifts that the justification that we have in Jesus Christ and the knowledge of our forgiveness give to us as sufferers in this life who have been justified by faith. Now as some people look at this and Ministers preach on it, commentators comment, write books, and so on and so forth. The thing that they look to is that he is saying, firstly, that it's not meaningless because it is for your holiness. 
suffering for the Christian is not meaningless because it is for your holiness. Now that's a nice thing to say, but you have to examine it a little bit. Suffering, you know, that, that's hard. Trials, those are, those are hard, Pastor. Those are not pleasant. Who wants to go through that sort of thing to become holy? How can I understand this sort of thing? And I want to tell you that the Lord will take the things that this life put before you, the things that you experience, the suffering in your life, and he will turn those things for your benefit. Just as we read in Romans 8 a few moments ago, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's quite simple in that sense and in that that frame as well. But it does make some real meaningful sense whenever we take and interpret it uh, into a way that I think Paul is intending. And so when you read this, this production um, idea here in verses 3 and 4, that the sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, it's speaking in the language of training, isn't it? That's what the language is there in the New Testament. The same words are repeated and made use of elsewhere in the New Testament to speak of a person getting strong like an athlete or a soldier prepared for war. The one that's actually got progress and strength. And, you know, what do I think uh, of this and how do I think of it? Uh, Recently, uh, your pastor has decided it would be a good idea to lose a few pounds and so I've begun to uh, go to the gym on Panzer. And uh, it's a nervous thing for a, a book geek like me. doesn't really pump a lot of steel to walk into a gym where you've got these soldiers who obviously do this all the time and these service members that do this all the time and, frankly, normal people that just do this all the time. And, I, you know, I go down the hall and, and what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for the cardio room. I need the place with bikes. I need the place with, you know, um, a treadmill and the sort of thing I'm going to feel comfortable with. But I've got to walk right past this room that's full of weights. If you've never been in a facility that has soldiers in it lifting weights, let me say it to you, it's loud and it's not just the clanking of steel. It's people screaming at each other. One more, one more, one more, two more, three more, push, push, push. Max out again and again, and then you hear just the weights blam hit the ground. It's like an earthquake, right? And so I just sort of peek through the door, and I'm, you know, thinking, "Don't drop that on me." And there's this guy, and he looks like Captain America, like a superhero, right? He looks that way because not just that he's been working out, but that little by little by little he's being he's been making good use of incremental suffering. Because what do I see? I see the guy doing curls and the veins on the top of his head are popping out like he's about to die. Sweat pouring from his body and you just hear this agonizing roar as he endures for the sake of his benefit. There's just a little bit of this picture here. The progress of the Christian and the reality that the Lord uses trials for the sake of the strengthening of our faith. Now, does it look like that? Does it look macho like these men and also very strong women that I'm talking about? 
No, I think there's a different picture. It's not the spiritual pressing of steel and all this sort of thing and all the sweat equity that you could think putting into your own body or into your soul, but rather it is the things in your life that progressively peel one layer of false security away and direct you to the true security that could be had in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's the sufferings that take and that bring the the drops of tears down the cheek that then turn the face of the child of God to the kind hands of the Father that they may be wiped away. It's the nearness to the Father that's intended through these things and that is not just intended but received. And so the person asks me the question, well, what's the meaning Is it to just grow in holiness? Well, friends, I want to point you to verse 5. It's because hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. They are occasions for drawing near to Him. Opportunities circumstances where the meaning of our suffering is nothing less than that we know the love of God for us. Now you say, but pastor, I don't know, I don't know. How do I I internalize that? How do I deal with it? What more could be wanted than an arm around you in the midst of suffering? What more could be wanted than to know the love of a God that does not stop and that's more deep than the depths of our pain, more intense than the intensity of our suffering, more restorative than the destructive acts that we experience. That's some meaning. And I also want to say to you, Christian, apart from Jesus... That wouldn't be your experience. It'd be entirely different. It'd be the experience of suffering without access to the Father. Suffering under guilt without forgiveness. Furthermore, it'd be like suffering alone. You see, the last aspect to this, and one of the benefits of our Suffering is the experience of the love of God expressed to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? It means you're not suffering alone. But you have a comforter that Jesus called. You have a helper. You have a friend, a paraclete in the Holy Spirit who loves us and ministers to us in the midst of our sufferings. What a magnificent gift. What a wonderful thing that we receive by simply believing on Jesus Christ. That if sufferings are sure to come, they're not meaningless and you're not alone. Friends, I wonder, would you know Christ as Lord and Savior so that this might be the gift that you receive today? 
And friends, if you're a Christian, behold this. Because if today you don't feel the weight of your suffering and the need of it, I feel fairly certain that the day is coming and that if the Lord Jesus Christ needed this and his suffering, then likewise so also will you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the mercies that we have through the promise of the gospel. Lord, the good news that Jesus Christ was slain, not just for sinners in general, for, but for sinners just as we ourselves are. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us all understanding. Oh, Father, press these things to our hearts that we would receive you more fully and know you more sweetly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.